There's only one thing I hate more than lying skim milk, which is water that is lying about being milk. <laughs> Correct. Episode 12, Parks and Rec is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Hey, Angela. Hey, Matt. Hey, uh, we are recording pretty early in the morning. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, ha have you had anything to eat yet? I have had something to eat. I have not had enough coffee. I, I, I've got my coffee right here. I, uh, my traditional gigantic mug of coffee. But uh, I, I could go for some food. Uh, how do you feel about breakfast? I love breakfast. It's my favorite meal of the day. That's a good thing, because uh, that's going to be a big thing that I would like to talk about today, because you know who really, really loves breakfast food? Who really, really loves breakfast food more than me? I like breakfast food at night, but I love breakfast food all the times. Well, I, I think that Ron Swanson has you oh. beat, because Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec could have breakfast food anytime, day and night. Uh as, I, as I fact, am in the Ron Swanson breakfast food anytime, day or night club, though. But he might have me beat. <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of you know he he is he is who he is. He makes no you know qualms about it. Uh, he'll straight up and ask, "Give me all the bacon and eggs you have," because there is never a sadness that can't be cured with breakfast food. I think that's true. And I, I think that that's a big reason why I personally love the show. H have you seen it? I love Parks and Rec. I've actually only watched like one season, but it's like one of my um, multitasking shows. I'll like have it on when I have to do a boring activity. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's it's a it's a delightfully upbeat show that is always there. Uh, I've got the entire series on DVD, and of course, it plays. I think on Peacock now. And uh, with the exception of the first season, I think that it is completely a masterpiece. Uh, and I think that, that a big reason for that is because of a massive, massive autistic influence. And and pretty it's pretty 
out there, right? Like, I feel like oh, yeah. Amy Poehler's character, like, there's there's pretty well documented that this is representing some parts of autism and autistic culture. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because season one, they... they they were trying to be a essentially a spin-off of The Office. Right. They actually originally planned to have an episode of The Office where they, you know, got a new copier and shipped the copier to Pawnee and the copier would be the spin-off character. But when Rashida Jones was cast and she already had a Parks and Rec character, they decided to scrap that entirely and start new. Huh. But when they started the show, they they essentially wanted to make it a love story with two blatantly neurotypical people. Mark Mark Brandanowitz and Ann Perkins, the nurse. And uh, Mark Brandanowitz was a very, very dull character. Uh, very, very, again, neurotypical. And Amy Poehler start off as being sort of uh, socially awkward, uh, had a domineering mother, had sort of uh, all this other, you know, other interpersonal awkwardness going on. But they they didn't really portray her as being autistic. Mm. It was just socially awkward at the beginning. And uh, there's a lot of other characters that didn't even exist. Uh, they, they didn't plan on having April Ludgate as a part of the show. Aubrey Plaza showed up and uh, one of the producers said, hey, let's make a character for her. And Aubrey Plaza is uh, largely probably the biggest influence on Tim Burton's Wednesday reboot uh, oh, more than anything. Interesting. Partly because yeah. you think like the voice, like Aubrey Plaza in Parks and Rec has a very distinct kind of monotone voice thing she does, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Monotone, intense gaze, very, very intense interests. Uh, again, possibly autistic coded because she is she's essentially a black cat uh, given human form and of course they decided to pair her with Chris Pratt who's a golden retriever given human form correct that was very accurate yeah and it's it's a greatest odd couple pairing ever and it really it, it became a big relationship dynamic for the show instead of Ann Perkins and Mark Brandanowitz and then uh, at the very end of season two they introduced Ben Wyatt who is uh, uh, played by Adam of uh, Adam Scott, and uh, so so anyway, they started to throw in more. Wait, and was more that the guy who was? He was like the mayor. Yes. Yeah, he was a teenage prodigy mayor who, uh, being a teenager, ruined the town with a, a, a winter complex, and yeah, he he later became essentially. Not a comptroller, but an, an auditor for the state that goes around and uh, helps cities get back on budget. And he has a name for his calculator, and he is supremely nerdy. Uh, he's got a lot of really, really great quotes. Uh, he he created this really intricately punishing uh, board game, uh, The Cones of Dunshire. And... Uh, it, uh, there is a quote about it, the, the rules being so complex that they're punishing. And, ah, but, 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 okay. Yeah. All right. But, but he, he is, so anyway, it was about that time that the show took a very, very hard decision to essentially reformat for season three because they decided to get rid of Mark Brandarowitz entirely. Uh, the guy who played him is now off the show. And Leslie and Ben start to become this autistic power couple. 
Okay, and so Leslie is Amy Poehler's character, and she oh, yeah. is like Miss Shawnee and uh, Pawnee. Uh, Miss Pawnee, right? Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh, oh yeah. And and so and then who is Ben on the show? Uh, ben is played by Adam Scott. Oh, okay, right. Who we just talked about this like kid oh, yeah. mayor, former kid mayor, recovering, and he is these. They're going to be. They're going to go all the way to the White House together. Exactly. Right. And that's the thing because when we talk about the 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 positive traits of being autistic, these two embody all of them. The this dedication, this passion, this this hyper empathy for themselves and for their town and want to work better, and so. We were talking earlier about how work consumes our lives because we don't have that work-life balance. And this is one of my favorite quotes from Leslie. Oh, okay. Leslie, Leslie, who is played by Amy Poehler, says, There's nothing we can't do if we work hard, never sleep, and shirk all other responsibilities in our lives. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... She has wanted, uh, again, by season three, they have essentially hard-coded her as autistic. She starts off as a kid wanting to be in local government, uh, a a 10-year-old making campaign ads for herself because that's what she does for fun. She loves organizing for fun. Wait, can she I makes... just say this is basically me? Uh, and and This was yeah. my life. I used to always make campaign posters. My goal was to, like, run the first female for president campaign. I wanted to be a campaign manager. That's exactly. how I went to GW because uh, they had the most campaign managers for president come out of GW's political communications program. So I am on team obsessed or at least was as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing because this, so she is one of I uh, honestly I can't think of any other uh, well, except for uh, now heartbreak high. Uh, I can't think of any other representation of autistic women on TV. Yeah. and she may have very well been the first. I uh, love it. Yeah, and so what she does for fun, she loves organizing. She loves making binders. She loves making plans. She has a sign maker uh, on retention so that in the event that she needs a sign at a moment's notice, she can have a sign in an hour. Mm, And I get it. When asked for her hobbies for a dating site, this is what she said. Hobbies? Organizing my agenda. Oh, wait, that doesn't sound fun. Jamming on my planner. (laughs) And and this one person's annoying is another person's inspiring and heroic. <laughs> and that's the thing, because she is a very, very driven person. She's a very passionate person. She she loves her friends more than anything. But at the, so this is one thing that autistic people might have difficulties with, because we are incredibly passionate people. To the point where it might be all-consuming. A, l- a little uh, overwhelming for some. Yeah. Uh, and this is the thing, because her friend Ann Perkins, the neurotypical nurse we previously described, once uh, said that uh, that Leslie can be a wee bit overbearing. For instance, Leslie really, really wanted to help Ann Perkins out, so she... Uh, 
helped her stay up all night with a Harry Potter marathon, despite the fact that Anne doesn't like Harry Potter. And she says, well, of course you like Harry Potter. You've seen all the movies. Because, again, she really, really wants to do all this good stuff for her people. She she gives them presents. She has holidays for them. She, she goes above and beyond to help her friends, even if they don't really ask for it. So one of so, the things, one of the pieces of, like, feedback I would get growing up is my mom would always say, you're too generous. And yeah. I found this super confusing because generous is... In my experience, it was always a positive word. Yes. So what would be two, so if like somebody likes one cookie and you give them two cookies, you would think they would like you more. So two, if they liked one Harry Potter movie, you're like, oh, this was fun. We just watch Harry Potter. Let's stay up all night and watch all of them because I am this generous. I am willing to stay up with you and do this. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's the thing, because she she go, she doesn't do anything half-assed. Everything she does is to the best of her ability, above and beyond. I, I believe there's one episode where she said that, you know, she on average gets around two hours of sleep a night because... It's it's always churning. And this is a big autistic thing because mm-hmm. we, we tend to have sleep difficulties. We're always planning. We're always thinking ahead. And this is this is one obstacle that she has in relationships because uh, of this quote. Uh, I don't know, but I know how I feel and I want to be with you, but I'm done steamrolling people. Because that's the thing. She she has this tendency to be so passionate and so caring that she forgets to ask people what it is that they want because she wants to do things for them. But she wants also, to set, it's confusing. Yeah. It, yeah. Like they said they liked it, so I'm going to do more. Exactly, exactly. And then I'm and always shocked when I'm told I'm steamrolling them. I'm exactly. Like, oh, I didn't mean yeah. to. I was trying to be extra nice. Exactly. And this is a very, very common thing that uh, is interpreted as social awkwardness because it's it's our best. It's working in people what we believe to be their best interests in showing all these things in presenting so many things and, and doing everything that you can to help. But again, because of our brains, this is the way that we work and we forget that other people don't work that way. And they become overwhelmed fairly easily, and this is a this is a big thing that becomes a a, a reason why uh, in the show Leslie doesn't have a lot of friends outside the Parks and Rec department. She's always down to throw people a surprise birthday party. She uh, she tracks Ron Swanson's birthday down because he has eliminated all references to his personal life in every database known to man, except for Baskin Robbins, because he loves Baskin Robbins. He's a member of the birthday club. So she bribes a member of the Baskin Robbins to give him uh, to give her his birthday information so she could set up a very thoughtful day where he gets to sit by himself and eat a steak, drink whiskey and watch. Uh, bridge over the river Kwai because she knows exactly what he would appreciate he knows exactly how to take care of him but it freaks him out because again there's somebody that's so invested in his interest mm-hmm. and he's he's got big boundaries and right and then it's like we get accused of being a stalker yeah but then it's like and also maybe the research plays into it 
That, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, like, figures out the Basket and Robbins database. And this yeah. is where I get this. What comes up for me is, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get flowers. Like, this person's going to be so excited that I'm so good at research that I was able to find their birthday in the Basket and Robbins. Like, this is amazing. I'm amazing. And then the person will look at me like, you're a crazy stalker, and I'm not sure if I want to be friends. And this is this is another thing, because when she's uh, trying to date and trying to meet people, she also wants to be the best and show people how great she is at things because she thinks that will be impressive. And so we have this quote. Uh, guys love it when you can show them that you are better than they at something they love. Oh, yeah, they, they don't, though. Oh. <laughs> and, and again, this is why uh, in the first season and a half, she is portrayed as forever alone because she has a number of failed relationships, including with Mark. Uh, but she never, ever finds her person because this is her approach. This is a very autistic approach uh, about the research, about the passion. She throws Galentine's Day parties for her female friends because she wants to empower them. She she has breakfasts for people. She... Uh, Again, she is a very, very intense, dedicated person. She loves so many things, uh, in including this. Uh, let's see here. I ate oh. a this. Oh yeah, go on. This one. I ate a brownie once at a party in college. It was intense. It was kind of like indescribable actually I felt like I was floating and it turns out there wasn't any pot in the brownie it was just an insanely good brownie is this autistic joy yeah 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 Th this autistic is euphoria I've exactly. had that brownie yeah yeah because that's the thing when she loves something she loves it so much JJ's diner she loves waffles waffles are the ideal food for her she she takes every opportunity she can to indulge in the things that she loves and talk about the things that she loves and she will bring everybody to JJ's she will everything that she loves about the government, everything that she loves about Madeleine Albright. She went through a period where she made Madeleine Albright action figures as a child uh, and stalked Madeleine Albright in Washington, D.C. and forced her to become her friend. By the way, just for the record, she lives on lived on 31st and P. I have also parked my car in front of her house and met the security people there, and she was my graduation speaker. Just saying... I yeah, can show yeah. you Madeline Albright's house when you come visit. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And and she just she just again just showed up and became Madeline Albright's friend uh, because this this is just how we work. This is how we do things. She's also very very passionate about stuff that she dislikes. Uh oh, I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and all other disgusting things. Yeah, yeah. When she likes something, she loves it. When she hates it, it, it is dead to her. The city of Eagleton is filled with rich people, and she cannot stand the snobbery with that. The people who at the, uh, and again, this is an ironic thing for us, because everywhere else in the world, uh, 
autistic people tend to like libraries, but the libraries in Pawnee are run by bureaucrats and a very snotty, mean people. So she takes it upon herself to wage uh, a battle against the mean people, including Ron Swanson's ex-wife, Tammy, who run the library. And this is this is a thing because we we are our passions. This becomes our identity. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Wait, I want to go back and I want to just compare the brownie to the salad. Yes, go for it. Because I feel like in mainstream neurotypical culture, like the the difference between a brownie you really like and a salad you don't like, because I think there are neurotypical people that do like brownies and don't like salads, but it's like there is a, I don't know, maybe a standard deviation of one or two. Like, I like the brownie, I don't like the salad. And I I find usually when neurotypical people describe their food likes and dislikes, their voice stays in the same register, tears aren't involved, there are no flapping hands. It's just like, this is my preference, one standard deviation positive. This is my unpreference one standard deviation negative and we can all just have a reasonable conversation and then when I don't like something or my husband um he really really has a lot of feelings about cinnamon and raisins and nuts like Ah. a lot of feelings my feelings are positive towards them but they're very negative or I have a lot like cilantro. I know other people have that issue too, but it doesn't feel like one standard deviation. It feels like 15 and my voice modulates and my eyes do a thing that neurotypical eyes don't seem to do and my hands flap and I feel things inside my human person. Like physically, my body feels things. And a really good brownie, also my body feels things inside my person, even if there's not pot in it. I don't, anyway. So I, I my sense is there's actually more sensing happening, which is why like the other people will roll their eyes at me and be like, geez, why do you have to make a big deal? It's just cinnamon and raisins. Just pick them out. I think it doesn't, I think it actually physically in an autistic body feels different, which is why my reaction is different. But the person looking at me thinks it felt like that one standard deviation. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the biggest thing about uh, talking about sensory sensitivities and like socks, bathtub time, uh, all this other stuff that uh, autistic people say. No, I can't do that. Other an outsider might say, "Why? It's mildly uncomfortable." But to us, uh, it's it's a huge, huge deal. If it's great, it, we need it to live. If it's bad, we must avoid it at all costs because it's poison to us. Yeah. My husband doesn't lie. Like, lying is really hard for him. But when you say you're allergic to nuts, people are very nice and will make sure they're not nuts. When you say, like, I don't prefer nuts. They're like, can you just have some of the nut oil? Like, could you just have like sprinkle and just like scoop it off? Yeah. And so he can't seem to bring himself to just tell people I'm allergic to nuts, cinnamon and raisins. So instead he like explains it, but then he feels bad because it's almost like the waitress tries to, oh, well, if you're not allergic, like they'll just be on the side. But it's like, no. so I'm like, just lie. But I think maybe that's another autistic thing. Like, he he will not just lie. This is a Ron Swanson quote. There's only one thing I hate more than lying skim milk, which is water that is lying about being milk. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing that, that, that we, well, well, I want to transition to Ron because that's a perfect transition to Ron's strict moral code, which is a thing that we tend to have. But but as long as uh, one last thing about Leslie is that uh, she also, when she is introduced uh, and describes her house as, quote, a creepy hoarder's nest because she collects everything. She collects old newspapers. She She's very, very organized with her work. She makes binders. She makes everything for work. But everything else in life just kind of goes to the wayside because she she has her focus. Uh, we are very monotropic in that regard. But everything in her personal life up until that point just kind of went off to the side, which is a big reason why Ben Wyatt is a big thing for this. But let's talk about Ron and his rigid moral inflexibility, because I was it last podcast where we talked about that, uh, the study with the, uh, the the people who did the test. Uh, so oh, there was, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the lying about would you lie if it like gave you an advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, doing this study where people played a card game and could cheat and win more fake money, and inevitably the autistics did not cheat and the allistics did cheat. And, and the study the people, was like, even when it's in their own best interest, they won't lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's exactly. wrong with these autistics? Yeah, <laughs> you and, can and make they, more fake money. Yeah, they call this uh, having a, a rigid moral inflexibility. And that that is a thing about Ron Swanson. He is, for better or worse, very, very rigid in his morality. He does not lie. He does not tell jokes because it's a perception of lying. Uh, his version of joke is, I like the government. And then he laughs hysterically. Yeah. And that's the thing. He he holds himself to an incredibly high standard. And even though he and Leslie have very different ideas about how government should be run, because of their strict moral codes, they know that each other is a very, very morally uh, uh, morally reliable person. Dependable, reliable. You know what to expect. Yeah. And for those of you who aren't Parks and Rec watchers, Ron Swanson's a libertarian. So yes. he's got 
he's got. Libertarians are, I think, interesting in the world of autistic culture because we talk a lot about social justice, but then obviously privilege and intersectionality play into it. And I think there are a lot of autistics that end in the libertarian camp, but for the exact same reasons that somebody like Leslie ends in the more social justice warrior camp. Exactly, exactly. Because it's all about doing what you can to the best of your ability. And Ron Swanson is essentially a character of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, okay. uh, With the mustache and his signature bully, because that's how he compliments people. He is a, a rugged individualist who can literally do just about anything. He he does not have a bank account because he doesn't trust banks, so he keeps all of his money in gold that he buries around Pawnee. Okay. He doesn't know how much money he has, but he knows how many pounds of money he has. In some ways, maybe more logical. In his- exactly. And, and that's a big thing because... Uh, Ron also has difficulties in relationships. Uh, his mother was named Tammy. His first wife was, uh, uh, no, his first wife was named Tammy. His second wife was named Tammy. His mother was named Tamara. And it sort of is a running gag that because he he tends to fall into these traps because these these women know how to exploit some little part of him and then he just loses himself in that identity. And he, he he was raised to have a very stoic upbringing. Uh, let's see here, uh, including this. Uh, crying, acceptable at funerals and at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and let's see here, these two as well. I would rather bleed than sit here and talk about my feelings for 10 minutes. Uh, keep your... Keep your tears in your eyes where they belong. Obviously, yeah. unless it's a funeral or the Grand Canyon where they are allowed to come out, we have rules for these things, people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he sticks to his rules no matter what. He is not a flashy person. Uh, as a matter of fact, this. He says, I prefer quality over flash. That's why I refuse to write my signature in cursive. Yeah, and... <laughs> This means that he is largely alone. He he eventually ends up with uh, a character played by Lucy Lawless, Xena Warrior Princess, because Lucy Lawless is the only woman that is strong enough to match him. And uh, of course, her job is a middle school principal. Perfect. <laughs> so she she fights uh, the drama on a daily basis. Uh, she is strong. She has two girls. And over the course of the show, he has to learn how to be more sensitive. And he he eventually has a baby of his own and has to learn how to deal with Doc McStuffins and watch movies and take down all of his uh, traps that he has around his cabin because, you know, if you, you know, hit a tripwire, all sorts of crazy things happen. So he has to learn how to be more emotionally accessible. And this is a big stereotype about autistic people that we don't have emotions, but we have these rigid rules so that we are not overpowered by emotions. Uh, as a matter of fact, Ron Swanson is a very big, uh, he is a man of passion. And he says, one rage every three months is permitted. 
Try not to hurt anyone who doesn't deserve it. Ooh, and passion and morality. Exactly. And that's a big thing because there, there's a big thing when uh, Leslie and Ben get married, Ron is there to protect them against uh, another councilman who is just uh, the, the worst. And when the councilman tries to ruin the wedding, he punches the councilman in the face because he cannot stand his friends being hurt. He's, he's willing to put himself at risk. He's willing to put himself out there. He will do whatever is necessary to protect those that he cares about. Mm. And again, we, we, we see this moral inflexibility. We see these very high standards. We see that uh, he, he is a very, very deep person, but he also does not care for the majority of people. He's very much an isolationist. Right. And and says, if there were more food and fewer people, this would be a perfect party. I want to go to that party, too. Exactly. And this is his opinion on friends. Friends, one to three is sufficient. Sufficient. This right. meets the needs. He has Correct. workplace proximity associates because he works with people. And the best people that he's ever worked with, he doesn't speak to them. He doesn't know their names, but he enjoys their presence. He, he, so. But is this like, is this trying to like control for surprises? Like Ooh. if I have one, one to three friends, then that like minimizes the number of emergencies, surprises, like, because especially when you feel such a strong obligation to take care of your friends, then there's like a protective quality. So much about autistic culture is like, where do the, where do the, the symptoms of autism, like become like tools that we use to keep ourselves safer or saner or more regulated. Like, I know what's going to happen if I have too many friends. I know what's going to happen if I go to a party with lots of people and it's super noisy and there's five conversations. And so how can I control my environment? And a lot of us find very similar ways. Like autism is not a monolith, but we reach similar com conclusions. Smaller it, parties, more food, fewer friends. Like I've reached a lot of those conclusions. Yeah, yeah. And this is a big thing because so due to what we call the intense world theory. Uh, so we we experience a lot more sensation than neurotypical people do. And we perceive the world as being overly chaotic. And when we see it as overly chaotic, we have to control for all these variables. It's exhausting. Uh, we, we have to deal with stuff that other people don't. So because of that, we try to structure our lives in a way where we can eliminate the chaos, where we can mm -hmm. eliminate the unknown, where we can live our lives in very happy ways. And like you're saying with, you know, the parties and stuff, when Ron got married to Lucy Lawless, this is what he announced to everyone. Great job, everyone. The reception will be held in each of our individual houses alone. Yeah, because that's the thing. He sees Perfect. this kind of stuff as chaotic. He has exactly one Halloween costume, a pirate. And he dresses Great. as a pirate every year because that is his Halloween costume. It is sufficient. It is sufficient. He he can do anything. He can 
uh, when uh, Leslie and Ben needed wedding rings, he ripped a sconce off the wall, uh, forged it into rings, then repaired the wall as though the, the sconce had never been there before. But he can't deal with loud, obnoxious social interactions. That That is far too chaotic for him. He is a man of great talents. He is a man of uh, uh, unbelievable strength and morality. He He just can't deal with people. That is not a strength of his. And uh, when other people are talking about how they interact with people and Donna Meagle, uh, a, a neurotypical co-worker who is very, very successful as a realtor and has all sorts of immense drama in her relationships. She meets uh, Keegan-Michael Key uh, and uh, he plays a teacher and he is a very, very good guy. He brings muffins. He gives Ron Swanson a muffin. Ron Swanson loves muffins, and Ron sees him as a good guy. And this is his advice for Donna. Live your life how you want, but don't confuse drama with happiness. He wants a drama-free life. He wants a predictable life. He wants a very stable, low-key existence. This is one of my husband and I, like, shared values that when we were dating, we found very few other people who shared this value. We're, like, boring. No drama. Like, in our relationship, in our house, like, there's enough chaos out there. Let's just, like, have cats and drink tea. Yeah. And read books quietly near a fireplace. Yeah. He would much rather be canoeing. He would much rather be outside in nature reading a book about uh, boats. He, he would much rather be doing anything than putting up with drama and chaos of dealing with other people. Yeah. And this is how he is. And this is a very good representation of, you know, wh- how we value and what... Uh, you know, how people might find us as odd or, you know, different because we don't want that chaos. We we just want peace. Yeah. And the thing about, you know, social social challenges is like this big diagnostic criteria. They're going to be bad at social relationships. Your kid's never going to have friends. Your kid's never going to fall in love like it, that is so fascinating to me because the logic that comes from being autistic, like, uh, this is going to be not very interesting, but, like, seems more logical to me. Why wouldn't you want to do it my way? Yeah. So, and if you're listening, and I know we've gotten a lot of listener feedback from parents of kids who are autistic And like one of the things I want to say is find autistic people to be friends with because it will all seem so much more logical to them. And like, are they social problems? Yes. When you have to go to work or you have to go to school and you have to like comply with the neuro majority because we're never going to be good at complying with the neuro majority, even if you try and train our weirdness out of us. But put us in a group of other autistics, and it's not to say we're all going to be friends. We all have different personalities. We all have different interests. That's not the point. The logic underneath a lot of our decisions is just going to make sense. And a lot of those, you're weird, what a weird way to do it. Why would you tell people to go home for the reception to my wedding? <laughs> like We'd be like, oh, kind of get it. Yep. Have yeah. a good time. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's the thing, because uh, when I introduce the whole autistic thing to parents, I, I refer to the kids as little researchers, because inevitably they'll be sensory seeking, they'll be exploring my office, they'll be exploring the chair. Everything that they're doing has a purpose for them. It may not be immediately obvious to an outside viewer, but they're doing it because they're they're learning about the world around them. They're, they're little scientists. And one time someone says, well, what happens when he has his meltdowns? And well, this is the thing because we have big passionate emotions. And when we do that, we're essentially like a cornered raccoon. So autistic kids are uh, little raccoon scientists. They want little to do all this scientists. stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're yeah, they're a rocket raccoon. And this is just who we are. And when you understand that, everything else makes sense. There is a logic to it. And the logic is learnable. And the things that have been pathologized as needing to be fixed, like meltdowns, a lot of them just automatically get fixed when you understand the culture and the logic behind it. It's like if you spent a year as an exchange student in China, there would be many things that you would have culture shock about. You'd be like, why do they do it this way? It's so crazy. After you've lived there for a year in China, when you come home, you'll explain to your friends and family, here's why they do it this way. Oh, in China, they do it this way. And it's really interesting. This is why we have to look at autism from the social model of disability rather than the medical model of disability. Because from a medical model, uh, our brains work great. But from a social model, we are a neuro minority in a world that prefers receptions. We, we live in a world that operates in a way that is very, very counterintuitive to us and punishes us a lot when we don't meet that expectation. A lot. Yeah. Like disproportionately, and then the punishment feels even worse on top of it. So that gets exacerbated. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com. Differencepress.com and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. In Parks and Rec, there is a very high percentage of people with autistic traits. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's necessarily a high understanding or acceptance or conversation about autistic culture, but there are definitely a lot of autistic characters. What do you think the breakdown is in most people's communities, like in their school or in their office or in their town. Like, what do you, th do you think the percentage is similar to in Parks and Rec or are we much more of a minority? Well, the, the current step, so, so, so let's say, I think 10 years ago, the belief was that uh, we are one in around 300. The current stat is that, uh, 20% of us are autistic. That's what so, I think it is. Yeah. And That's what I think it is. The more we learn about what autism really is, and the more we learn about uh, how people who are not young white cisgender boys uh, express autistic traits, because again, whereas Ben Wyatt is the very, very nerdy. He loves Star Wars. He loves Game of Thrones. He loves all this stuff. Uh, Leslie doesn't know any of that stuff, but she's no less autistic. 
Right. And this is a big thing. Because, because she's when you, been studying campaigns and yeah, organizing. Yeah, she's been studying campaigns. Ron Swanson has studied nature and studied woodworking. Everybody has something that they study, that they learn about, that they are fantastic at. But uh, that's they're all a very, very different expression of the same thing. Mm. And they're all very, this is why they all get along so well, because when you say, ah, yes, I'm very passionate about this, it has to be done this way, we say, well, I disagree with that, it has to be done this way, but at least you understand why that has to be done in that way, because it works with our brains. Right. I do think there are a lot more of us out there, like, just going with the 20% number, not that we have any science behind it, but do we know what percent are diagnosed God, that's a th- so. This I know is one it's of the a biggest growing things. number, but yeah, because this is one of the biggest things. Because current, there, one of my biggest problems with uh, people who diagnose autism is that there are so many people out there who oh. are working on outdated beliefs, like yeah. uh, beliefs that we don't have empathy, that we can't make eye contact, that we Theory can't drive a car, mind. that we're giant children. Uh, I do a lot of second opinions because there's a lot of women who come to me who have uh, been refused diagnoses of any kind, who get diagnosed ADHD, who get diagnosed bipolar or borderline personality because of the fact uh, there is one woman who uh, paid a ridiculous amount of money to someone in town and uh, did 16 hours of testing, included like six hours of aptitude testing, some IQ testing, did the Wisconsin card sorting task which is a dementia test, right? Yep. And, and ended up, uh, and the evaluator said, well, you've got some autistic traits, but you made eye contact and you wore makeup and you can drive a car, so you can't possibly be autistic. Right. Thanks for all 16 hours of analysis yeah. that you figured out in 30 of seconds. Dollars. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's outrageous because these outdated uh, beliefs persist and they're still being taught in classes today. I have a friend who is currently in school uh, to become a psychologist and the the autism training ranges from, well, there's a lot of different views, so we're just not going to talk about any of them, to yes, autistic people have marked deficits and are not technically human. And some ridiculous nonsense out there. And this is why I think that talking about autism as a culture is very important to humanize us. Because Mm -hmm. when you humanize people, you start to understand them instead of seeing us as a disorder or as a deficit. And this is why bringing up characters on these shows, because uh, Michael Shore has a lot of autistic representation in his shows. Uh, he worked on The Office, and you know, of course, there's Dwight. Uh, depending on who's writing Dwight at the time, he's either a jerk or blatantly autistic. Uh, right. Parks and Rec, so many autistic traits. The Good Place has Chidi Edigonye. Uh, uh, Edigonye. Oh, I love Chidi. Exactly, very oh. autistic. And the world, well, the world and the world beyond, all works in very, very logical ways. The show is a master class in autistic and uh, autistic worlds and ethics and everything. Ethics, yeah, autistic yeah. ethics, that's and, what I'd say. And even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there's so much autistic representation on that show. Uh, but Michael Shore has a lot of autistic representation in his work. And this is what we need. We need more shows to have these autistic characters as relatable characters instead of like 
One of the shows I hate most is The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Because, like, that is so much about, although weirdly, doesn't he actually deny, don't they deny his character is autistic, which yeah. also makes no sense? Yeah, because uh, uh, the, the, the decision was to say that his mother had him tested and, yeah, he's normal. And Which this, could have just been a bad diagnosis, let yeah. me suggest. Go to Matt. But I think it's like putting even I do have to admit, I actually like atypical. I just really like the writing on that show. But the putting the autistic characters autism front and center, as opposed to what we're talking about in Parks and Rec, which is these are just characters living their lives, having like a whole and complete life, not just surrounding the the content surrounding their diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. I mean, we we are humans. We have interests. We have, you know, we, we have eyes and mouth and feet and all. <laughs> and when you limit a character to just a diagnosis, it dehumanizes them and it makes them, you know, just a caricature. We need more than the character caricatures. We need characters like in Parks and Rec who are well-rounded and fun to be with because this is one of the charms about Parks and Rec. The characters are fun people. They get into wacky situations and it's all very positive. And that's the reason why it lasted as long as it did. And this is the reason why it's still fun to watch today because whether or not they have official diagnoses, they're delightful people with autistic traits. And this is a big reason why it's good to, you know, have the label to say these are autistic characters because it humanizes us. It it means that we're more than just Rain Man or more than just Sheldon Cooper. We are capable of being fully fleshed out three-dimensional characters that uh, have uh, ups and downs and that we, we have plans for the future. It's, it's necessary in order to be a better representation of our people. Yeah, and I think for more, for more people to come to and find the culture as a home for them. So exactly. when, I, when I grew up, I have, I'm actually third generation. So my parents were born in America. My grandparents were born in America. My great grandparents were born in Italy. And when I grew up, even though I don't speak a word of Italian, my parents don't speak Italian. My grandparents spoke Italian growing up, but had forgotten it. My great grandparents weren't around, but I knew I was Italian before I knew how to speak. Like, even though I wasn't in Italy, like, I don't know what this Sunday we my my mom made sauce and we had a pasta dinner. I don't know how I knew. No one showed me a map of Italy when I was in utero or anything. It was just very easy for me to know we were Italian. It would come up. People would wear Italian horns. My grandmother was a little bit of a a little bit of an Italian witch and would teach me some witchcraft and how to put the evil eye on people or how to tell if somebody was putting the evil eye on you. And all of the songs, like 
There would just always be, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Like, that was just on the record player at my grandmother's house. No one was like, let me tell you what Italian people are like. I just knew it because I was a part of it and I was welcomed into it. And it was my birthright. Yeah. And there were downsides, too. When I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s. There was this whole, the Godfather came out. There was this whole, uh, Uh. everybody's mafia. Uh, The number one question I got growing up was, um, is your your dad in the mafia? Like, that all the time. So, like, there was... Italian-American prejudice that is part of my birthright. And, you know, I'm certainly not doing anything comparative here, but what I'm saying is I love Pignoli cookies and I don't ever have to worry that they're mine or not mine. That is my culture. Yeah. And with autism, there's been so much pathological misdiagnosis diagnosing the wrong people leaving people out leaving women out leaving adults out because you turn 18 and your autism goes away apparently and my goal when you see parks and rec is the same goal i have when i turn on the sopranos like even though we're not mafia I turn on The Sopranos, and that's the same pasta bazool my grandmother made. Those are the same dishes my grandmother had. It looks like home, and there is a feeling when I watch it of these are my people. Yes. I know this music. I know this food. I know this these words, this pattern of speaking. I know these values. I know these assumptions. And if you're listening to this and you see yourself in any of those things, welcome to the culture. You don't need a diagnosis. You can get a diagnosis. It might help you. You can get help and treatment, but the culture is just as much your birthright as my Italian-American culture is mine. Absolutely. I totally agree. And on that note, uh, what is your favorite uh, part of being autistic this week? Well, I don't know if this is my favorite part, but I'll just share a little story because you made me think of it when we were talking earlier about Parts and Rec. I was getting dressed for this delightful podcast session this morning, and my cute sweater had a tag in it. Oh. And I went to (laughs) cut out the tag because I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I went to cut out the tag and there was literally no way to cut it without ripping the sweater. So then I like tried to tie holes in the sweater with the sweater threads, which didn't work. I'm not going to turn around, but there's a hole in the same place that there's a hole in all of my sweaters. But then for some reason, I decided to take it upon myself. This is why I was late today, Matt. Um, I decided to take it upon myself to go to the website of the sweater maker and to write them a letter about how their clothing was ableist and take a picture of the sweater. And for some reason, I get so much joy out of the fact that I can crank out 2,000 words in about four minutes when I am filled with rage about the fact there was no way to get the tag off the damn sweater. 
So hopefully I will be getting a free sweater soon. But if not, they got an earful about if you're going to put tags on there, don't sew them into the actual sweater so there's no way to take it out. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine anyone looks for more tags. Tags are not a selling point in any garment. God, but yeah, like I wish this had a few more tags. I got a t-shirt the other day. I was so excited. The back of the t-shirt had the label like printed on. That's how mine so are. I, yeah, all yeah, of my t-shirts great. are like oh, that. Oh no, Matt, <laughs> this story takes a dark, dark, dark turn. Oh no. I put on the adorable tagless t-shirt and I'm like, what's, what's, I'm having a weird, I'm something sticking in my side. Oh God. Is that a knife? Is, what's happening? Someone's poking me. Is that a knife? I lift up the side of the t-shirt. There are not one, not two, but three large football-sized tags that they put on the lower left-hand side while also having their delightful nothing at my neck. Did you think it wasn't going to bother me at the side? I'm not going to notice it. What is the purpose of that? So now I have a hole on that shirt on the side of the shirt. I have more holes in my shirts, let me tell you. That's madness. But I don't normally have, because of autistic inertia, I don't normally have the energy to write such a beautiful photograph-filled letter like I did this morning that made me late because executive functioning, not great at judging time. But I needed to tell these people their tags were insane. That's what I got for you. <laughs> Is that wrong? I, I think Don't that Ron Swanson wrong. would approve. Thank you. That's what I needed to hear. I'm yeah. going to go have some bacon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, it's been great. I will see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.